Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White here with you on Supply Chain. I welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, you've been on global assignment, hard-hitting assignment for a while. How are you doing? I have, and I am doing great. It has been a lot of hard work, Scott, as trying to just assure that the supply chain continues to operate here in Europe. Oh, well, I've seen some gorgeous... I have been working. I have, I swear. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well continued safe and enjoyable travels to you and the fam. We've seen some gorgeous, gorgeous pictures. But hey, speaking of wonderful travels and perspectives, Mm. new and old, we have got a great show teed up today. One of of our faves here. We have supply chain today and tomorrow with the one and only Mike Griswold with Gartner. Now, Greg, as most folks know, the Gartner Supply Chain Top 25 for 2023 has been released. And here today, Mike... (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The iconic pyramid, which we're going to be diving into in a second. But Mike will be sharing five key takeaways with us today, including a couple, Greg, that are rather brand new for this year. Yeah, Greg should be a great show, huh? Yeah. I mean, it always is. I can't believe it's been a year since we talked about this, but this time of year is, it's always fun to see, of course, what the masters are up to, but also what who has made waves with their supply chain. And particularly in the last two, three years, it's been pertinent to see the poignant developments of the practitioners in this practice. (laughs) It's lots of P's. Good, solid alliteration there, Greg. Alliterate. Thank you. Thank you. How about that? I'm illiterate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, you're in the right place. If you love supply chain, you love hard-hitting, been there, done it, proven analysis of what's going on, what leading organizations are doing, you're in the right spot. So Mike and Greg, I can't wait to the conversation. Hey, let's say hello to a few folks. Josh Goody is back with us from Seattle. Josh, great to see you. Brian Birdsong is with us here today, also via LinkedIn. Venkat via LinkedIn is here with us today. Let us know where you're from. Let's see here. Brad Reeves is with us. Great to see you, Brad. Hope everyone's having a blessed day, he says. I think we are, Greg. I think we are. Indeed. John Peterson, back again. John, you've been quite, you've been on a roll. And he's based in Marietta from LinkedIn. Greg, do you know John by chance? No, but I feel like I should. Where's John work? So John, let us, I think John just took on a new role. If I saw that right on social, Uh we'll find out. Gosh, I hope I don't know him. I mean, (laughs) since you asked, if I do, (laughs) John's going to be really upset. John, we should get to know one another. That's right. John's been dropping some great, great insights and expertise here. Hey, Natalie's back with us. Hello to you, Natalie, via LinkedIn from the Charlotte area, I believe. Michael Banning's with us. Arthur is with us. Arthur just read, I think, the top 25 in his supply chain management class. Excellent. Excellent. And finally, Venkat from India. Nice Chennai. to meet you as well. Yeah. Chennai, that's right. Great to yes. have you, Venkat. Okay. So, Greg couple of quick announcements before we bring on the one and only Mike Griswold. 
And we're going to start with Humanitarian Project that we were spending time with Mary-Kate Saliva the other day. So Greg, as Mary-Kate hosts our Veteran Voices programming, she is a U.S. Army veteran, and she still currently right. serves in the reserve, as a matter of fact. So Mary-Kate is from Guam and has tons of friends and family dealing with the disaster caused by Super Typhoon Mawa. We are supporting this relief effort that we're showing here today that Mary-Kate is leading and would love for our supply chain now fam to consider supporting it as well. I tell you, Greg, two quick thoughts. It's been devastating to hear her firsthand observations of what her and her family and her friends are going through on a variety of levels. And then secondly, if you do some Googling, do some searching, it's tough to get updates from what's going on. Guam, most articles are a couple of days old, but Greg, your quick thoughts before yeah. we go on a much lighter note. Yeah, well, the island's obviously highly exposed and it's typhoon season. So, it, I mean, it's, there's always a chance of this. You hate to see it happen. I think the best we can do is support them at this, That's right. know, at this point, right? I mean, it's, it's part of the United States. So. That's right. That is right. Uh, and although highly, heavily f- removed by distance, of course, mm. right? That is right. Hey, folks, you're one click away. You'll see the link there in the chat. Y'all check it out. And of course, mentioning, I want to mention that one. Also, want to mention Alan Aid, which does great work on these disasters and many others. So, y'all check out alanaid.org as well. Okay, Greg, on a much lighter note, much, much lighter note, Sunday, I believe, we published, with that said, the latest edition. I want to say this is maybe approaching the 40th edition or something. Hey, this is our weekly wow. LinkedIn. Yeah, can you believe that? Nah, that's incredible. It is. 40 weeks. Man. Yes. Man. And it's a lot of work. Let me, let me, <laughs> that's a lot of work. But hey, it's resonated. We're approaching 22,000 subscribers. We try to make, with that said, we try to make it different than all the other shows and programs we do, right? So in this latest edition, you're going to find great ideas with some folks that may not be on your radar. And you're also going to find a laugh or two, hopefully. So we got the link to the latest edition right there in the chat. And again, we publish this about once a week. We miss Mother's Day for obvious reasons, but it usually hits Saturday morning or Sunday morning. And Greg, it's must, is it must-see? Must-see TV or must-see? Yeah, uh, I must think see it is. Yeah, I think it is. Especially if there's comedy. There's not always comedy in there, but when there <laughs> is right. comedy, it's exceptionally worth seeing. Man, Greg. That you just tells it- you how Scott was feeling on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. When he did this, or Friday night. Right? That's right. <laughs> Whenever the production happens. Well, hey, it's a team sport. And I appreciate all the feedback we've gotten out from across the global supply chain realm. Okay, speaking of supply chain, Greg, we yep. are tickled to have our dear friend, one of our longest running series here at Supply Chain Now, and most popular. So with that said, let's bring in Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Hey, hey, Mike, how you doing? Hey, Kadu, well, thank you. Good to talk to everyone. Great, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see uh, yeah, you. It's a, last time we did this last year, it was like the day after the reveal and things were blowing up. So today we're like uh, three or four weeks removed, so things have, have calmed down a little bit. But yeah. it's always good to have a chance to spend time with all of you and share the top 25. Well, I'll and Mike, you. I think we have to acknowledge the reason it's such a big deal that we did it the day after last year is because you personally are in charge of this initiative, correct? I am, but this was my last year. 
being in charge uh, of this initiative. So we have another gentleman, Simon Bailey, who's picking it up and running with it pretty much starting now. It's as most people probably don't know, it's a full year exercise. So yeah. over the course of the summer, we start looking at the methodology and I'll probably mention this a couple of times next year is the 20th anniversary. So you talked about Greg, you know, hard to believe it's been a year since we talked about this last. It's hard right. to believe we've done 19 of these. And I've been involved in some form or fashion for about 17 of them. So mm. we're putting our, all of our collective heads together around what do we want to do for the 20th anniversary? Because it's a big deal. I don't know that when this first was started in the AMR days that we thought we'd get to 20. I think after some people's reactions, we were thinking we'd be lucky to get to two. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and now it's great to see that it's getting talked about it at some colleges, universities, obviously not objective. I, I think it's a great piece of research around elevating the profession. And at least here in the States, we all know we love a good ranking. So, That's right. Uh, it, it, yeah. it's, it's been a great piece of research for us. Yeah. Greg, well, your it, quick response. Yeah, I think it's been great. It's been great all of the years, though never hit the top 25. I was on the wrong side of the table. But I think what's been really notable is how you've continued to evolve it so that it remains a relevant rating of supply chains, even as supply chains have come to be diff rated in different ways, including ESG and making that a bigger part of it, I think is really important. And the impact to the bottom line of their respective companies, all of those things that you continue to evolve the ratings based on show the relevance of supply chain in the business and I think also show, you know, good practice on you guys' part to continue to adapt. Yep. We have seen, Greg, some folks that on your former side of the table talk about how many companies that they have that, as clients in the supply chain top 25. Yeah. I think that's a great way for the technology companies, I think, to think about this research. Yes, it's geared towards end users. But it is pretty powerful to say we've got 23 of Gartner's 25 top companies as our yeah. supply chain clients. So shameless plug for the technology people that may be listening or watching, but there, there is a way for you to leverage this research. Well, so let's never do did this. that myself. <laughs> <laughs> Good ideas abound. Yes. Hey, really on. quick. Big thanks to Catherine and Amanda behind the scenes. Hey, would y'all go ahead and drop the link? So in case folks want to go to the Gartner site and download their copy while we go through this, I think that'd be a great, great opportunity. So if y'all would drop that, and while you do that, Greg and Mike, let's back up for just a second because we want to, we want to celebrate some of the people of global supply chain. So Mike and Greg, as y'all both know, Mike, you get a kick out of all the national, international days we like to celebrate when you join us. But today, so today it is International Supply Chain Professionals Day which happens to be, I've got it on good authority, founded by our friends over at E2Open. I think we've got an upcoming webinar with the folks at E2Open. But here, this is what I want to ask both of y'all. What is one role across global supply chain that never gets enough recognition? Mike. Yeah, this will probably not surprise Greg. I'm going to go right to the trenches and talk about demand planners. And I'm talking about the individual demand planner that has you know, maybe 3,000 SKUs they're trying to manage. Mm. And their task day in and day out, I think, has evolved from this idea of just how do we predict demand and how do we match demand and supply 
in a world that is getting increasingly complex, but now they're getting bombarded with technology, machine learning, AI, as an example. And how does, how do they manage the changes that are coming in their role while at the same time maintaining service? And certainly as we went through the pandemic, right, we saw the impacts of the challenges that individual demand planner has day in and day out in terms of predicting demand. So for me, that's the role because if we don't get that right and a whole lot of other things just don't happen or they happen very expensively or we just don't have stuff. So Mm. that's where I'm going to go. And I'm sure that given my background and all the conversations Greg and I have had over the years, my guess is that's probably not a surprise to Greg. Hopefully I didn't steal his, but I'm guessing that's not not a surprise surprise at all. Yeah. And I would like to, I think we should qualify that with affirmative recognition, right? Because planners are always getting recognized with the, (laughs) how did you hurt the company yesterday report? And if you're overstocked, it's the planner's fault. If you're out of right. stock, it's the planner's fault. And if anything happens to go right, thank goodness for those sales folks. So some <laughs> yes. affirmative affirmative yes. recognition for planners is absolutely yes. necessary. Yeah, well, mine might be a surprise to folks. And it's because I didn't come out of the transportation industry. But I think it is the drivers, the people who get where it needs to go when it's on the road or in a trailer or in an in any sort of craft right i think they don't get nearly enough recognition because they are right they're the 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 link to the entire supply chain that makes it go and and it's an increasingly difficult job to fill it's not unlike that it gets attention not unlike the the demand planner or planner the only time you get recognition is when some something gets messed up. So mm. I think, anyway, I think they're, it's yeah. really important to acknowledge all those folks. Agreed. Those are two great ones, the planners and the drivers. So my, mine is going to be a little different, but I believe one of the most invisible, unfortunately, components of global supply chain, and that's the, the maintainers, folks that keep those the mm. trucks and the fleets and the aircraft and the production lines for that matter, all those things going, all the different equipment. So folks, for all of our maintenance technicians, all of the maintenance gurus out there that don't get enough appreciation and recognition, hey, our hat's off to you today. All right. So Greg and Mike. Scott, Scott, that's a great one because that even that role is starting to change, right? If you think about the level of automation that is going into distribution centers and the growing reliance on robotics, those maintainers now start to have different skills and actually start Mm -hmm. to potentially look different Yes, in terms of maybe now my main job was changing the battery on all the pallet jacks and making sure they all worked. Guess what? Now my job is to make sure the robots don't break down, right? So I think, Greg, or sorry, Scott, I think you hit on someone that is going to become even more important as we think about these kind of underappreciated roles as we start to rely more and more on technology in these facilities. Because if a robot breaks down and it can't do the sorting and the picking and all, that facility can come to a screeching halt. That's right. So great call out on your part. And that role is definitely evolving. It is. And to we had a site visit, it's been a couple of years now, 
but the trend has only increased to your point, Mike. Greg, you remember we went to uh, an automated warehouse facility. It's been tar- two or three years ago. And their story, they told us, leadership told us, is that their maintenance technicians, because of all the automation at that time, had to learn new skill sets. And actually, they got bumps mm-hmm. in pay and compensation because mm-hmm. of it. That's a great story to tell. Yeah, great story to tell. All right. So, Greg and Mike, this is going to be this is going to be an outstanding discussion. So, this is where we want to start. I want to level set. I want to start with showing the top 25 for 2023. So, uh, that's right. I was waiting on the music to, uh, to Sorry. Sorry, I was a little late with the, yeah. <laughs> We're working on our time, folks. Hey, so this is how it works. So, again, folks, we dropped the link. You can get your own copy of this. You'll find a link in the cheap seats or the VIP lounge, as Allison named it yesterday. So the top 25 is there, and you're over to the right, you've got the master's category. These are folks that keep getting it uh, right and keep executing at a supreme level. So Amazon, Apple, P&G, and Unilever are all in the master's categories. And then I'm gonna, just going to share the top five, and y'all can check out the rest of the top 25 and also hear Mike and some of Greg's comments. I touched on those here momentarily. But number one, Schneider Electric. Number two, Cisco. Jack Allen and the team's happy over there, I'm sure. Number three, Colgate Palmolive. Number four, Johnson & Johnson. And number five, PepsiCo. All right. So, Greg, Greg it looks like you're about to say something before I... Well, I have a question. I have to ask this question. So, you have the master's category too, Mike, which maybe you can explain to folks. But how close are any of those top five? Because they, we seem to talk about them a lot. How close are any of those top five to moving to the master's category? And maybe yeah, explain to people how that happens. Yeah, it's a great place to start. Great. So the Masters, we launched back in, I don't even know when we launched it. It's, it was a while ago. And it was designed or is designed to recognize long-term sustained performance. So in order to be a master, you have to have a top five composite score seven of the last 10 years. So the distinction I want to make with people, because it gets to the heart of your question, Greg, around who yeah. might be next, is it's not your ranking where you land in the pyramid. It is the ranking of all the composite scores that we do for all. This year, we had 284 companies. So we rank all the composite scores. So in order to stay a master, you have to have your composite score needs to land in the top five. For those of you, I will address the elephant in the room. For those people that are familiar with the top 25, right? we used to have five masters. This year, we only have four. McDonald's did not meet or has not met that criteria of a top five composite score seven of the last 10 years. So when that happens, you leave the masters and you land where your composite score takes you, which in the case of McDonald's is at number 20. So to your question, Greg, someone, Cisco has had three years in the top five from a composite score perspective. Schneider has had three years in the top five. So they would need to have four more years of a top five composite score in order to reach that seven of the last 10 where they would be eligible to be a master. So Got it. it yeah, it's hard. it feels like it Schneider hard. in particular. Yeah, yeah, it is hard. I guess I thought it was maybe five years in a row or something, and I had forgotten oh. that criteria. But that is yeah. very, very hard. Yeah, it is. And if you think about just the way the math works, right? In order to stay a master, you have to have a top five score. We have four masters, so right. 
you would think in theory they're taking four of those five spots. Oh, so, the Masters, oh, count. It's not oh, top yeah, yeah. five of the regular no, no, list. No, 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 no. It's, it's a top five okay. of all 284 companies. Mm, holy mackerel. So, yeah. So, get, so stay getting a Masters or getting to be a Master and then keeping your hands on the Masters ledge, it is hard, right? Seven of the last mm. 10 years, seven years of a top five score. So, yes, it is challenging. And that, that list of Masters, will probably stay fairly consistent for the next five or seven years unless someone wow. else can climb it. Okay. Yeah. But don't, don't, don't you think that McDonald's should get, should be awarded the master's category simply because of their delicious French fries, Mike? Can we make that yeah. happen? Yeah, yeah we, we know. Yes. They're going to get a ton of funk. There are people calling them right now going, we can get you back into the <laughs> right. Yes, right? <laughs> yeah. If we added a taste component to the methodology, Yes. You've got, certainly McDonald's would have some consideration for me personally. Diageo would probably go pretty, pretty high up the lid. Anyway. Yeah. All right. They've got a number of adult beverages that I highly crave. So (laughs) not now while I'm on duty, but afterwards. That's right. Right. But immediately (laughs) after the cameras go (laughs) off. Yes. All right. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. So Greg and Mike, Mike, I want to keep going. So we're going to talk about, let's start, we're going to cover five key takeaways, but we're going to break them up. So I want to start with the three key takeaways from this year's list and research, kind of in general. So where are we starting there, Mike? So if we look at the list, this is year 19, next year will be the 20th anniversary. And there's a couple things that we've seen in the evolution of the list. And let me talk about kind of two of them together. And then I do want to talk a little bit about some of the newcomers. But sure. to your question, Scott, you, when you look at that list, you see a couple of things. One, you see you know, significantly different operating models and different asset decisions that companies have made and are able to be successful. So let's take someone like Cisco, who landed at number two this year. You know, they, they're the, one of our highest companies on return on physical assets, which is a measure we put in around supply chain efficiency. One of the reasons that they score and do so well in return on physical assets is they generate a lot of revenue using other people's assets, a lot of partnerships, a lot of third parties, a lot of activity that happens off their financials. Now, some, right, that aren't a huge fan of the return on physical assets metric would say that's kind of easy. I would suggest orchestrating multiple partners across an ecosystem isn't easy at all. And in fact, it's the demonstration of a very mature and capable supply chain. We were talking about McDonald's. McDonald's is another similar situation, right, where They're using lots of third parties and have an excellent orchestration capability to be able to do that. So it's about, when you look at the top 25, it's about looking at different paths to be successful based on the decisions that you make that are best for you around your supply chain. Now, what I wouldn't want people to do is to look at someone like McDonald's and Cisco and say, hey, 
they're successful because they have all these relationships. I want to do that. Well, that's, you can do that if you've got the level of capability and maturity that McDonald's and Cisco do in terms of building out how to navigate that. If you're not very good at that, then I would suggest you're setting yourself up for failure if that's the model you want to replicate. The second point I would make is you'll also notice a pretty diverse set of industries. Mm. It's not like the top 25 is dominated by one or two. You've got representation from almost every major industry. We have chemical companies in Dow. We have automotive companies in Tesla. We've got retailers in Walmart and Inditex and others. Amazon obviously is a master. Cisco in the high-tech arena. You've got even within consumer products, you've got different companies. You've got someone mm-hmm. that looks like Colgate Palmolive, and you've got someone that looks like L'Oreal, and someone that looks like Diageo. So one of the things that we've always tried to encourage people to think about is what can I learn not only from companies in my own industry, but what can I learn from companies outside of my industry? And there's through the top 25, There's lots of cross-industry examples that companies can be looking for. So if I'm a retailer, what can I learn from, say, consumer products companies around the art of collaboration, right? What can I learn from life sciences companies around innovation and R&D, and how does the supply chain support that? So there's just a lot to learn from other industries if we're open to looking at other industries and what have they done to be successful. All right. So Greg, I'm going to get your take, but I want to add something really quick. I think that's absolutely critical. It's table stakes. And maybe some traditionalists have always avoided seeking to learn from other sectors and other industries. But I think here in 2023, sorry, I mean, for years now, I think it's been critical. Greg, comment there on what we heard, different paths to success, cross-industry examples, a lot more. Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me is what to do with this information. And that is, is identify the similarities of your supply chain demand dynamics. Don't just say it works for someone in our industry. Let's try that. Or it works for this big company. Let's try that. You might recall a guy who worked for Apple going to JC Penney and saying, it worked for the Apple store. It'll work for JCPenney. If any of you even remember who JCPenney was, give you an idea how well that went. But I think understanding the business dynamics of your environment and then how to apply relevant methodologies based on those dynamics, right? To this cross industry, cross vertical, whatever, you have differing dynamics, high, high volume, low margin right? Low, low volume, high margin, right? Very lumpy product, et cetera, et cetera. So identify some of the demand characteristics and the production characteristics of your products. And of course, the constraints of your environment to determine which of these techniques might be applicable to your organization. But I think that's the most important thing is these should be your role models. Mm. Uh, You know, to whatever extent, it's applicable to you. It doesn't matter what your scale is. It really matters those dynamics that we talked about, but these should be your role models for building your supply chain. Yes, well said, great, Greg. Great, great. You made a great point. The, the one thing I want to highlight, Scott, and I appreciate 
everyone kind of you know putting the links out there for people to look at this right there. We do some additional research that comes out at the same time, which is we take a look at companies 26 to 50, and then we produce all of our industry cuts. So while we've got this global top 25 and we've got the masters, this results material that we publish can give you some, while we don't have the write-ups, you can see how 26 to 50, those companies have performed. And then in your particular industry, you can see the top 10. Some of our industries, like automotive, we only do five because there just aren't that many in our population. But the reason I share that is to Greg's point. There, I get feedback all the time. Mike, I love the top 25, but when I look at it, I'm a smaller company and I don't see myself, right? P&G can do this because they're P&G. Walmart can do this because they're Walmart. I'm Mike's little company here. I can't yeah. hope to do that. Well, guess what? When you look a little bit lower in the list, 26 to 50, when you look at, say, the number eight or number nine company in, in life sciences, as an example, there are things, you'll start to see people that look like you, right? And part of it, though, is being receptive and being willing to look for someone that looks like you and not just dismiss the things that the top 25 companies do are because they're big recognized brand name companies. If you look hard enough, you will, and that's part of what our job is, right? Is for right. people to say, hey, who looks like me that I can learn from? That's all within this top 25 research. Mike, let's keep going because I think the third, you, you've alluded to a couple of times, but in terms of the newcomers, talk to us more about that. Yeah, every year we have around three to four new companies pop in. Unfortunately, we have three to five companies that exit the list. And the new companies this year, I think, are a good indicator of companies that have embraced this idea that the supply chain top 25 and where they land is really an outcome. It's not a, an explicit goal, right? The best conversations that I have with companies around the top 25 are, hey, how does the methodology work? Where can I participate in the methodology? And what are the things I should be doing in those, say, financial parts of the methodology? What should I be doing to be more efficient around how I use my assets? What can I be doing around inventory? And how can my supply chain help me grow revenue as a source of commercial innovation? Right. If I do all those things, where I land in the top 25 will be an outcome. When I look at some of the new companies that landed there, it is this idea of how do I make my supply chain better with an outcome of landing in there. So GlaxoSmithKline is a good example. Hmm. They were out of the top 25. They came back in this year. Dow, AB InBev, both new this year. Two very different companies. If you think about Dow as a chemical company, AB InBev, as a consumer products company, and then Tesla at number 14, which is one of the higher places that we see companies land for the first time. Alibaba, a couple of years ago, landed there. Microsoft landed at 10 last year for their first time in the top 25. Hmm. Normally, what we see is where Dow and GSK and AB InBev landed. But Tesla is a fantastic story of someone that you know, has been in the population, slowly working their way up, 
and I think have started to tell, let's park the Elon Musk and the Twitter stuff off to the side. Yes, the Tesla story, the things they're doing around the breakthrough work they're doing around manufacturing of electric vehicles, the work that they're doing to make those vehicles and the assembly process more efficient is from a supply chain perspective. Now, certainly there, there are conversations we could have around Tesla as it relates to ESG and some of those things, which are all fair conversations to have. But when you think about how they've been evolving their supply chain, it's a fantastic story. And there's a lot of things to Greg, your earlier comment. Even if I'm not a, even if I don't make cars, the mindset that Tesla has around their approach to the supply chain are things everyone can learn from. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Greg, why don't you comment on that? Well, I mean, I, sorry, I'm going to hammer this point one more time. And that is, even if you don't, even if you aren't the scale of Tesla or Johnson and Johnson, even they started with relatively unsophisticated approaches to the advanced techniques that they now use. So do something to quote my great uncle, do something if you do it wrong is my mm. suggestion. And because you can scale down what these companies are doing to be applicable to you. You don't have to use the exact same techniques or technologies that they're using to get there, just try to meet the same goals. Okay. Yep. Enough said on that point. And then the other is the fluidity of this is every year is so fascinating to me. I think Tesla gets a bad rap because in truth, all EV manufacturing is very not green. And so we talk about that on the show a lot, right? We're scraping the crust off the earth for rare earth minerals. We're using slave labor for cobalt. And that's everyone who's doing anything to do with batteries or mm -hmm. semiconductors. It's not unique to Tesla. So they get a bit of a rap, bad rap on ESG. But, but I think the other thing to hear is the, because it is so fluid, I did not realize that this was that Microsoft leapt in at 10. Was that last year that happened? Last year. Or that was our first year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess I, I do recall that now from, from talking about it last year, but the ability or even maybe just the willingness to share what you're doing is really, really important to being able to have someone identify that you have an excellent supply chain. And I think that is something that's really applicable to anyone, whether they are trying to get into this thing, which is, I agree, you should never try to do. What is it people say? Aim for the stars, settle for the moon. Aim for the stars, settle for the top 25. I think you really have to have that perspective. But I think it's really important for companies to, to apply their respective gifts to get their supply chain to a better state. Look, supply chain is a lot like golf. No, we didn't just merge with the Saudis. <laughs> supply chain is like golf in that even at your best, there is always at least one shot that you could have mm. done better. You could have been two strokes better, right? On any given day. You're never at the end of evolving your supply chain. And I think that's important for people to recognize. And I think this rate ranking becomes not just a recognition, but also an encouragement for people to realize right. that you have to constantly evolve your supply chain to maintain excellence in this particularly as we've heard people hearkening back to the days when everything was normal 
before and hoping things go back to normal so that they can start ignoring their supply chain again. Those days are over. Not going right? to That's right. And it's not, it's, they're over for one reason, and that is awareness. Mm-hmm. Because every Tom, Dick, and Harry knows supply chain now. Ever since what, Scott? Ever since what? Toilet, great toilet paper yeah, shortage. Great toilet paper. 2020, yes. Well, I got to ask you, Greg. All of us aware of supply chain. Right. And that's a blessing. Hey, were you sharing, was that Uncle Skinny's? That was Uncle um, Skinny, yes. That's my great uncle, yes. Just do something if you do it David, wrong. David Allen White is his actual, no, I'm sorry. That's, sorry, that's my grandfather. Brian David White. Okay. Uncle Skinny, a.k.a. Skinny. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right. So real, real quick, go ahead. If I could just react to Greg's comments, which I think were spot on. I I think no one has time to do this, but if I had one wish, I would love people in the anti-green moment to actually print out the top 25, do it double-sided, the global no, right? And have someone go through and just redact the company names first and then read it and say, hey, could I do this? And if the answer is yes, then it doesn't matter right. that it's a PNG or a Unilever. It's, I can do this. Or you might read it and say, you know what? We're not ready for that. Mm. But, I, but to your point, Greg, I think too many people get locked in on the company name and what they did and make a judgment based on their size relative to their own size and say, we could never do that. So if you could somehow read a redacted version and just read what these companies are doing, and then make a value judgment just based on the information that this company is doing, I think we'd be all be better off. Mm. So you're saying sometimes redactions can be good things. I like that. Exactly. Mike. I yes. like that. Yes. I love that idea. I, great practice. I'm trying to create any work for you, Mike. Well, it's not work for you now anyway, so who cares? No, yeah, exactly. Wouldn't it be cool to put it out without names and then fill in? Yeah the names oh yes yeah that's cool so we need like a workbook a top 25 workbook that'd be cool we need an app and and that would really help to vink it and some other comments here that help operationalize all the research and the findings and the expertise but nevertheless all right for the sake of time we've got to get keep moving forward and mike i think we want to touch on next is of all these key takeaways you've been talking about there's two new ones that were new observations from all the research this year. Tell us more about those two. Yeah, so each year we write, when we write the note, the beginning of the note, we put in this idea of the macro trends. And this year we had three, and there's two that I want to touch on. The first is around identifying and seizing new opportunities. And this is really through the lens of how does the supply chain navigate the tension between I want my supply chain to drive commercial innovation. I want my supply chain to be able to drive growth with the tension that our friends in the mm-hmm. finance area bring, which is, hey, I hate risk, right? I want us to be as riskless as possible. And there's that natural tension between those two, right? Because in order to support commercial innovation by definition means there's going to be some level of risk. So when we look at our supply chain top 25 companies, and even to our, to what we've been talking about, even farther down the list, right? It's that ability to balance that support of innovation with the risk tolerance that the organization has. How do I keep my CFO happy? That's definitely a, an emerging dynamic for supply chains. I think to Greg, your earlier comment, 
right? During the great toilet paper shortage, supply chains were being asked to be innovative and support growth in in any way they could. And we got pretty, and we got pretty good at that. Mm. Now, I think as we go back to uh, the way I like you described it, whatever normal is going to be, CFOs are now saying, yeah, that was great, but like any risk. So we got to be able to navigate that. The second is we're seeing just a general transformation of how and around how organizations are working, right? We've touched on that here, I think, a couple of different times around working remotely and the byproduct of that. People were still able to function, work still got done, even if I was doing it home in my pajamas, right? So that employee value proposition is going to have to remain front and center in, in people's talent strategy as they think about how are we going to keep people engaged. But we also cannot ignore mm-hmm. the fact that technology is coming into this discussion. And yeah. technology, whether it's machine learning, AI, chat, GPT, generative AI, whatever we want to call that, all of that is now making its way into the workforce. And we need to figure out how do we combine those things more from we talk a lot about an augmentation strategy. How does the technology augment decisions, but how do we as people augment the technology so that the technology can at some point learn and make better decisions? So when you read through the top 25 research, you'll see plenty of examples of things that, frankly, even our leaders are still wrestling with, still trying to find that balance of how we work still trying to find that balance of the role of technology. And this is definitely an area where I think, Greg, you talked a little bit earlier about people sharing with each other. It's, an, it's depending on whether you want to count the Gartner part and the peer part, that's 50% of the methodology is, mm-hmm. are you sharing stories and are you learning and helping people learn from each other? And mm-hmm. it's this transforming how we work that I think is probably the biggest area that we can learn from each other around how we continue to build out our supply chain workforce. Yeah. Well said. Greg, why don't you respond to that? Well, on the buy-sell spectrum, I'm buying that 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's so much good stuff there, right? Which is is to share all this uh, amongst ourselves, right? And set your goals high. And I don't know. To me, Mike, what you're saying is that there is so much interconnectivity in supply chain that we have to be connected internally, right? In the supply chain area, whatever you want to call that, because that's a vast area in and of itself. But amongst our fellow executives and leaders and operators in the company, but then also outside our own enterprise into others, to me, it makes me think of all of those complexities, which goes to the word you use frequently, which is orchestration. How do you manage all of that to make sure that your supply chain works effectively? And again, I, it all this make, just makes me think what a great, I'm sorry, I'm still going to go back to your take the names off thing. What a great example this is and how you can use this to help you improve your business. I think there's a lot of I don't know. I just see this as a great learning opportunity every single year to be able to adapt it. As as you were talking, I was thinking about how could companies improve their operations, as you said, such as they are today, not necessarily at the scale or the level that, that 
even the top 25 are doing and improve their business even just incrementally. I just keep going back to that. Yep. I, th- I think that ch- the challenge that we run into, I think, at, as a supply chain profession, and it manifested itself in our keynote this year. Our keynote this year oh. for our symposium, both in Orlando and Barcelona, but was heavily focused on a message around people and what people want out of their job. How do we, mm. as supply chain leaders, recognize, acknowledge, and address that? And one of the things we talk about is this idea of collective potential, right? Our supply chains are much better off collectively than we are with any individual one person or role. And I think overall, that message, if I look at the feedback we got on the keynote, I would say overall, the message was very positively received. But I know, having been in that room, that there were supply chain people saying, I don't want to talk about people. I want to talk about boxes. I want to talk about machines, right? People will show up when I tell them to show up and they'll work when I tell them to work. And if they don't, then we'll deal with it. And that attitude is just horrible. It's not going to work. And the companies that figure out how to navigate this idea of collective potential, I think are going to be so farther ahead than companies that are still thinking in the 60s and 70s around how people have to work. We're going to have, I think at some point, a huge talent divide between those that have all the talent because they recognize this and those that are continually scrambling to find talent, which is then going to lead to things like operational issues, productivity issues, output issues that will be able to directly, I think, link to their people's strategy or lack thereof. All right. So let me get a word in here edgewise. A lot of brilliance between Mike and Greg. (laughs) Today. All right. I got to share a couple. First off, I got to go back to Greg's word of orchestration that came up yesterday. And I learned something new. The conductor that leads the symphony, that little sticky holds, that is called a baton. A baton. And yeah. so more and more aren't supply chain practitioners that should be issued batons because it's more and more about the beautiful word that Greg mentioned orchestration. Orchestration. Okay. Natalie shares combine, just do something with small incremental changes helps to navigate the risk tolerance in many ways. That's change management and critical for innovative supply chains. Love that, Natalie. And Arthur says, tech has to be used appropriately. It is not a solution without people and systems that know what they are doing. Good stuff there. And Gino, good to see you as well. All right. So Greg and Mike, we're coming to the end of our time here today. And I hate that. Ready? I know. Can you believe it? We blink. But a lot of good stuff here. And folks, again, we want to encourage you Greg and Mike both have spoken, not just this year, but for years, the value of diving in to all this research that's out there to be consumed and put into practice and to drive better results at your organization. So check out the link and get your own copy. Mike, how can beyond that link to get it top 25? And I want to echo what Greg said on the front end. Big kudos to all of your leadership with this top 25 and just the giving mm-hmm. given that has helped so many people and organizations from startups to big enterprises. So hats off to you and your team because we know that we don't know everything, 
but know a good idea about all the tremendous work that goes into producing something that's celebrated each year. So hats off to you. But Mike, how can folks connect with you and the Gartner team that's on the move? Yeah, certainly LinkedIn. You can email me at mike.griswold at gartner.com. We also published yesterday the European Top 15. So we produce in total three geographical notes. There, there's the global note that published European. So this is companies that are based in Europe. And then in July, we will have an Asia Pacific cut. So companies based in Asia Pacific. And then over the next probably six to eight weeks, by the end of July, we will have produced all of our industry cuts. So for example, we'll produce the top 10 list of the top 10 consumer products companies. And then we'll have write-ups of each of those companies as well. So again, Greg, to your point, it's a great way to hear what other companies and other industries are doing, see what works for you, and find some of those best practices that are transferable to your organization. Well said, Mike. Uh, and Greg, mm-hmm. don't, get, don't go anywhere, Greg, because I'm going to get your final takeaway. But I want to bid adieu to the one and only Mike Griswold. We love your monthly appearances, and thanks for taking time out to share so much over the last hour or so. So big appreciate what you do, Mike. My pleasure. Great to see everyone and talk to you next month. Sounds great. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Take care. All right, Greg, man, before I get your last, your key, 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 key takeaway, I want to share the iconic pyramid once more. Of course, we got the master's category over here, Amazon, Apple, P&G, Unilever, and then of course the pyramid. And Greg, we've interviewed many leaders, just about a leader from each of these organizations, minus maybe Tesla. Tesla hasn't joined us just yet. I can't wait to get Greg and Elon Musk together. We'll see how that plays out. But uh, Greg, what Mike brought it by the truckload once more here today. He's got a knack for that, for doing that, right? An established track record. But if you had to pick one thing that came up in the conversation today, just one thing that you challenge Mm. people to take, put it in a headlock, really take it to heart, what would that one thing be, Greg White? Find yourself in this list. That's, I mean, that's it. And I don't mean literally find yourself and I don't mean even find that model, but as he stated early on, find someone who is attacking the same goals or same problems that you have in your supply chain and use that as a model. What is it they say? Oh my gosh. Copying. What is the word? I'm trying to think of the word copying is the best form of flattery. What is that? Imitation. Imitation. It's also a really, really good means of advancement, right? Because if it has worked for somebody else and the scenario is close enough to the environment that you operate in or the goals that you have, why not use the ability, right? There are no new jokes. There are only new audiences, right? I mean, comedy is one of those things that is constantly copied. So okay. that was Groucho Marx, by the way. Uh, so <laughs> I stole that. I thought I was in comedy. <laughs> I thought that might have been another Uncle Skinnyism. I love when he makes appearances got him. in our yeah, shows. got a lot of them. yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so Greg White, what a great great way to close. And one of the thought, folks, what you heard Greg and Mike kind of touch on this a couple times throughout um, is the folks that fell off last year's list. Dive into that. Dive into the story there. Gartner doesn't, I don't think they, they don't provide a whole bunch of detail beyond the top 25, right? But they do provide some. You can go back and look at last year's. You can do your own research. 
but find those some of those stories as well. I think there'll be some valuable observations made. And yes, Natalie, shamelessly steal ideas. I'm with you. That's how some of the best companies have been built. Okay, Greg White, what a great show. I hope you have continue to have a wonderful trip across a beautiful, many beautiful countries. Yeah. Godspeed and safe travels to you and the family. Thank you. And Josh Goody, yes, I am. I, I mean, unless you're seeing something, I've adapted to the, <laughs> to the time change pretty well. I have now been here two weeks and one day. So only about another two weeks to go. Actually, am doing some work. Today was a not today was a crazy day. I had a six a.m. meeting here, which is a nine p.m. meeting on the west coast where okay. Josh lives, and then had a nice big gap to catch up on everything else while the world woke up or while the Western world woke up, and then have been going back to back since for about six hours now. So it's been well, a long day, but I went to bed early last night planning good for it so the world better watch out when greg white goes to bed early better watch out that next better angel (laughs) that is rare but yes all right way good on you keep doing keep having a wonderful trip and creating all the good work and outcomes that you are associated with always a pleasure to knock out these conversations with you greg likewise thank you i'm sorry mike didn't mike and i didn't give you more time to talk i know what you have to what you have to say is really valuable here, and I think it. I think sometimes people don't get to see that because I, I and our guests is who you feature. But you have great ideas and insights around supply chain, and that's what makes the magic here mm. work. Is that well, you're not a talking head, man. You're a real live practitioner who's been there and done it. Man, Good I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Greg. It really means a lot. But you know what? That's okay because I get inside track. I get to sit back and observe and take my 17 pages of notes. 17 pages of notes. That's yep. right. And that's how we've been building this thing, right? By we, we rubbing need to, elbows. You know we need best. to do... I'm sorry. Thank you. That's great. We need to do a trivia on Scott Luton. And one of the <laughs> questions would be, how many pages of notes does Scott Luton take? <laughs> well, who knows? We've from, got to break out. episode 500 on, did you know that it's gone up by four pages? Oh, has it really? For episode 500, it was 13 pages in the notes. And around episode 500, you started yeah. taking 17 pages of notes. So you are actually learning more as you go, which makes you a great example to our fellow practitioners. There's got to be an AI play there because, man, I'm carpal tunnel on my wrist and all that's right. Man. But hey, we got to break out the trivia game. We'll have to do that again soon and include all the fine folks here from Gino, Benkett, Natalie, Arthur. You name it. Of course, Josh Goody will have to join us. But hey, whatever. Yeah. Uh, great episode today. Really appreciate it, Greg. But folks, it's all about putting these ideas and these insights into action. So all that deeds, not words. So on that note, whatever you do, on behalf of our entire team here, Scott Luton challenge you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here. That's Apache Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.